This is Gerald Posner. This is History in Five. Today I'm going to tell you five interesting things about money and power at the Vatican revolving around corruption, murder, scandal, and intrigue. For about 1,800 years, the popes were not just the head of the Catholic Church, the spiritual head of the world's largest religion. They were also kings, pope kings. They had a secular empire, thousands of square miles of lands, their own armies. They built up a vast court around the pope. How did they get the money for this? They fueled it by taxing people inside their empire, by fees, and also by selling something called indulgences. A piece of paper was sold to a Catholic and said, you're forgiven for your sins for buying that paper. Still, it wasn't enough money, and the popes had to go at times to borrow money from the Rothschilds, the preeminent banking family in all of Europe who was Jewish, much to the distaste of many Catholic cardinals who thought it was terrible to have to borrow money from the people they viewed as killers of Christ. All of this ended in 1870 when the popes lost their empire. Uh, Italian nationalists trying to unify Italy took over, they kicked the king, and they took over the pope's lands. They left the pope with a small postage stamped size parcel of land, the Vatican, and then all of a sudden in 1929 it changed because the Pope struck a deal with the head of Italy, then a fascist dictator, Benito Mussolini. The fascists recognized the Vatican as an independent sovereign country. They made the Pope the head of that country, invested with divine rights. Four years later, that same Pope struck a deal with Nazi Germany and Hitler's Third Reich, and they signed a deal where the Third Reich recognized the church as the church recognized Hitler and his power inside of Germany. In the middle of the war, the Americans and the British are trying to stop anybody trading with the enemy. So they are blacklisting companies and countries, including some countries that call themselves neutral, like Switzerland, San Marino, Monaco. The Vatican says we're neutral. Once the bank is formed, the Vatican is able to do business throughout the war, continue to do it with Nazi Germany, with blacklisted companies. After the war, what happens? That Vatican bank funds with British and American intelligence some Nazis to escape to South America who were wanted as war criminals. The bank, the Vatican, and intelligence agencies have become partners by the end of the war. Bishop Marcinkus gets involved with prominent Italian businessmen, including Michele Sandona, one of the titans of industry in Italy in the 1960s and 70s, and also Roberto Calvi, a, a major banker. They end up in all types of offshore deals and back-to-back -back loans and quadrillion fraudulent transactions that bring down the business empires of those two men and put the Vatican Bank at the edge of bankruptcy. And Marcinkus ends up staying inside the Vatican claiming that the jurisdiction and sovereignty of the Vatican as a separate nation keeps him from going to trial for fraud in Italy. And eventually that standoff leads to his resignation. He leaves the country without ever serving a day in prison. An Italian journalist exposed the extent to which the Vatican Bank had still stayed a corrupt institution through the 1990s into the uh, 2000s. Enter. Pope Francis. He comes in in 2013 with high expectations. He fired many of those laymen who worked inside the bank who weren't doing anything to make it transparent. He's adopted rules which suddenly changed the bank to become part of the international community. The wild and crazy days of murders and double dealing and fraud may well be, hopefully, a thing of the past.